Hey everyone, <laughs> welcome to season four of the Marketing Times Analytics podcast. I'm here today with my friend Trevor. Trevor, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me on, Alex. My name is Trevor Faree. I'm a co-founder and CEO of TSB Analytics, which is a predictive social media analytics startup based on some undergraduate research that I did at, while I was at NC State University. Tell us more about your business. Yeah, for sure. So I guess to take it back to the research days when we started working on TSV, we were working on a project for the American Codings Association. So like Sherwin-Williams, Valspar, DuPont, Dow, and they wanted a way to be able to predict and prevent the next BPA baby bottle crisis. So we started looking at social media trends when people were talking about different chemicals to be able to kind of give them a heads up when there was a spike in negative sentiment. We could predict that there was going to be a lot of backlash around a certain chemical. And now we're doing the same thing for brands to really know like what topics their audiences are interested in so that they can then create better content and kind of engage with that audience they're going after. That's really interesting. And you have a dashboard, if I'm correct, where you can go in and search. Yes, we do have a dashboard. It's all about dashboards. <laughs> so we basically either through like social listening or as I'm sure we'll probably talk a lot about through AI generation of images, text, we're able to even like help create content now based on those social insights we get from the listening. That's an interesting expansion. Um, so say more about that. I mean, I'm interested. Yeah, so as I'm sure uh, you've probably not heard of ChatGPT over the last few months and all of the craze there with the generative AI text. And I think really the big difference between like the AI text generation that ChatGPT and that's kind of like a layer below what we're almost doing. And it's even like the foundation for what we're working on because they kind of provide that baseline of like, here's the model. And then we're able to kind of take that and then apply it straight to social media. So rather than having to have this free form prompt where you have to come in, give it all the specifications, we kind of do all of the prompt building on our end. And with all of those insights and analytics, we can kind of craft the perfect social media post based on what the audience is talking about in seconds, rather than you have to read through all the posts, come up with the idea, and then actually put pen to paper and create the idea, post caption, video idea, whatever it might be. I guess on the AI topic, how do you see yeah. AI improving in the future and further integrating into businesses? Yeah, it is a crazy topic. Just even like seeing, I don't know if you saw the GPT-4 demo that they just had and like being able to take a picture of a notebook and like turn it into basically website code and just immediately upload it. It's insane how quickly everything is moving now after we got like V1, I feel like. And now I feel like the next version is really just going to like audio and video of being able to like create full scripts and video ideas and then actually have the AI be able to create that. I feel like we're probably, I don't know, a, a year might seem like a little long to say that we're almost there, but even like in the coming months, like being able to get to that place where it's almost like it's still a little easy to recognize when it is AI generated. And I feel like that's kind of the next iteration is being able to make it so it's super seamless and you can almost not even tell, which scares me and is also very exciting at the same time. Would you say that AI is somewhat biased just by the training data? 
Oh, for sure. And I, I mean, I've seen a ton of examples where you can like reason with the AI and like tell it that this is the truth. And now then ask it a question about the truth that you just gave it and it gives you the wrong answer, right? It's kind of just using that baseline of information. And I think the biggest worry from my side and probably more from the people who are actually building the models is that as all of this content is being generated by AI and thrown back out into the internet, and that's the source that's being used to build these next iterations, I feel like it's going to almost get into this cycle of learning from its own data that it's outputting and people are putting onto the internet and kind of just like feeding itself the same information over and over again, rather than original content that's kind of coming out. So I think that's going to be a really big hurdle for like open AI, stable diffusion, whoever might be that kind of comes and builds these next iterations of the AI tools. I want to go back to your business for a moment and ask about bias in what people are posting online. How do you account for the fact that only like very upset or very happy people are going to post about something like a BPA. But how, how do you capture the middle, you know, the, the actual majority of people and how they feel about something? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I guess the closest kind of proxy that we have to that emotion is through sentiment analysis. So TSV analytics, it actually stands for topic sentiment and virality analytics. So sentiment being a major part of that being able to see how positive how negative is this conversation or even just this specific post so i think it's actually interesting we get a lot of data coming in that does fall into that neutral category but i think that's even like another iteration that can be improved is sentiment analysis and even going to rather than sentiment analysis almost like tone analysis where it's like is this exciting? Is someone upset rather than just positive, negative, neutral? So I think there are a lot of, it's crazy. I am working on a predictive social media analytics company and I don't really post on social media besides posting about TSV analytics. So I am not someone to post a ton, but it's crazy when we're going through the data, just seeing all of the posts that people put out, even if they do fall into like the neutral camp, it's really just whatever they're kind of thinking. So I think people will always kind of be posting their thoughts. And I do totally agree. Like if you have a terrible experience with an airline, you're a lot more likely to post about that than if they get you there on time, five minutes early, five minutes late, you're not going to be like, oh, that was a great casual seamless experience, right? You're (laughs) not really going to post that online then if they totally screw something up or you have a great experience, right? So I totally see how that can be a worry but i think people are very willing to post online so i'm not too worried about that cool it's almost like an existential issue the amount to which people spend time on social media i fear that we're not having enough original thoughts you know i was thinking like we used to have books and i guess that is a sort of a form of having a somewhat uniform thought pool because people are getting their thoughts from similar sources but then there, the, yeah. it's not overwhelming. Like there, there's only like a few books to start with. And now it's like the opposite where there's like a ton of content, fewer sort of books that everybody's going to. Similarly, there's like 12 books that everybody's read, but like, that's it. And so yep. I guess what, what do you see as 
the potential consequences down the road of us getting most of our thoughts and information from social media rather than books or just original thinking. Yeah. And I think I can't remember the exact stat. I think it's over like two hours the average American spends on social media every day, which is just like mind boggling. That's like one twelfth of the day and you're sleeping for hopefully eight hours, right? It's insane just like how much the almost like cycle starts and i think we are starting to kind of have those conversations in society in general just about social media and the negative effects over the past few years and starting to actually understand that but i think we're still kind of falling into that cycle when people scroll through tiktok for two hours a day and don't really i mean maybe you can learn some things but i do see how like a book and I'm probably with you there. Like I just read Atomic Habits and that's probably one of the 12 books that people read every <laughs> time they read books, right? But I think that there's just a difference in like the information and like how it's being portrayed and like how you're able to take that information from a book or a show and kind of have a second to digest it where if you're scrolling through TikTok, it's really just what's the next thing? And then just immediately your mind shifts to that next thing. And then you're kind of like chasing that next thing and just like waiting for it to like excite you, laugh, whatever it might be. So it's a very interesting concept and like not having your own thoughts when you're just kind of cycling through all of these different posts. So I don't think I know the right answer to that, but I think we're almost like at the point there where people understand it, but we're still kind of falling into the trap that social media is just through and I don't know why that is. I'm, I wonder why people would rather go to social media than read a book. But I think it kind of comes back to what I just said, where it's like, you don't have to think as much when you're on TikTok, right? And you can just laugh rather than like reading a book on like how to better yourself or whatever it might be kind of going to that deeper layer and like critical thinking almost. Yeah, I was thinking about that because I, I realized that content creation is not so altruistic because it, in a, in a sense, further addicts a lot of people to their phones and to social media because that's where they're getting your content. So the better you get at creating content, yeah. the more addicted people become. So that's the sort of dark side, I think, that I hadn't really thought about at all. Um and it's a form of escapism at the end of the day. It's it's a way to escape from the tough realities. And this is a tough time right now in, in the world. I mean, things are sort of getting better, but it was it was tough for a minute there. Yeah, I mean, hopefully getting better. I think with all of the fun uh, Silicon Valley Bank, other bank collapses, that's been fun working on a startup during this time and all of the VCs having their crisis and all those thoughts so hopefully on the up i'm with you mm -hmm. speaking of which can you tell us about how your um like you you have sort of a sponsor to your company or, or can you talk a little bit more about that yeah so we actually have gone through i think you could consider three accelerator programs so and i think it was a really good progression for me and my co-founder aiden who we both worked on TSV's kind of underlying process while we were at NC State together. And the first accelerator we went through, the Riot Accelerator program, which is focused on like IoT, the data economy, they were very focused on kind of teaching us the business processes to running a startup and really like the foundations, what are the things that we should be thinking about and kind of giving us that groundwork, which was super helpful and just like how we should work day to day. 
And then we went through the NC State Andrews Launch Accelerator sponsored by Chip Andrews. And they that came with a grant and then also the program over the summer. And they were very focused on, okay, here's what your business is working on. How What actions can we take to get you to that next step? And it was a lot more tailored and kind of the approach and like, here's the things that you should be doing if you want to progress your business rather than like, here's the foundations for how you should kind of set it up. And then the last program that we just did at the end of last year is the NC idea micro program, which was also a grant program. And they felt a little more hands off than the Andrews launch accelerator, I would say, but they were very supportive and kind of giving us that whenever we had a thought or an idea going to them, they were like, Oh yeah, this is kind of how you should think about that. And, a lot more tailored for what we were focused on. And I feel like all of those programs combined just kind of built this framework for how we work and like how to think about all of these startup processes that I feel like if we hadn't gone through those programs, I'm not exactly sure where we'd be right now. How did you find the accelerator? How, how did you get connected with this network? Yeah, so I think being an NC State startup. So because we did work on all of the research during a grant at NC State, we have like a license with the university and like a ton of connections and kind of support there that we can always tap into. But I think for the ride accelerator, I was just Googling like, what type of programs can we get into? And I had applied there and we got in, I think they had around 10 companies in the cohort and it was all during COVID. So everyone was remote. So it was super easy access to just be able to apply and get in. And I think for the NC State Andrews Launch Accelerator, I think having gone through Riot, having the connection there, some of the programs are super connected to each other, kind of just having that referral from one program to the other really helps. And then I think we're kind of on the North Carolina hype train now going through all of these different accelerator programs where it's almost like, oh yeah, like those guys went through these programs. We can let them into ours for like the micro program. And we're even pitching at CED at the end of this month in Raleigh to be able to get the word out about TSV some more. So I think it's kind of a, the snowball has started at this point now. I like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. What about uh, just networking in general as an entrepreneur? How do you expand your network with people? Do you join communities any sort of like groups you're a part of yeah for sure like i think what you mentioned like the groups is a great way to get connected like in raleigh specifically there's like a rtp content creators meetup group and it's like i think close to 500 content creators just in the raleigh rtp area that can connect and just going in there finding everyone connect with them on linkedin just get on for like a 15 minute coffee chat learn about what they're doing chat about what i'm doing seeing if there's some way that we can work together i think it's really just about being open to everyone that i connect with like i obviously have to use linkedin a bunch to connect with people and just doing like customer discovery chats, learning more about the content creation space, just because I've never really been a social media manager. So I don't really understand what their process is like, but that's really the main audience that is using TSV analytics. So I am trying to constantly connect with those social media managers, understand how they work, what does their process look like? And then really ultimately how can TSV kind of fit into that process and make their lives better they want to come back to our tool it's kind of a win-win in that sense what is a change that you've made 
based on something you've learned about the way social media managers work? Oh my gosh, the biggest like realization ever was me and my co-founder Aiden, we were putting together our MVP, like the V1 for the TSV dashboard. And we had built it out. We had started to show it to some social media managers and then we're immediately realizing, oh gosh, they do not understand any of these analytics in the way that we're showing it to them. Like the analytical, like just like, I think a lot of the work that we did during undergraduate research kind of pushed us in this dashboard analytical mindset where a lot of these social media managers are a lot more creative, don't want to stare at all the numbers, figure out what to do with them. And so I think that's even where with the AI integrations that we're making now, we're able to take all of those insights and immediately turn it into like a creative output. So then they don't even have to like dive into the numbers, figure out what's going on. And it's really just a zero to one rather than having to have them like even dive into that data, try to understand it. I think the whole analytical jump there was a huge realization early on and that we had to kind of figure out how to make it more creative and tailored for these social media managers. Did you start understanding that social media managers were going to be your main audience or did that sort of evolve? Like, how did you figure out the product market fit? Well, I wish we had product market fit. We're definitely still figuring that out currently and like figuring out like who could benefit the most from using this type of product. But that's definitely like the path of least resistance that we found just because I think there's a lot of tools out there that social media managers are used to using like the Hootsuites and all of those and being able to kind of figure out, okay, here's how they're kind of working. How can we kind of fit TSV into that kind of mold? And I feel like there's a lot of synergies just between like the listening insights to the content creation, to the ideation of all of this content that we were able to kind of see who's creating the most content nowadays and who is trying to go on social media listening to all of these different conversations and i think just brands social media managers are constantly tasked with and usually it's like an intern can you monitor this whole conversation around these keywords and these hashtags and then they realize that they're constantly scrolling through social how am i going to keep up with everything and then being able to use something like TSV to kind of boil it all down into these few main points, it kind of just made the most sense. But we'll see. Hopefully that is the market that we're going after, but we're testing out new markets all the time just to see who it kind of sticks with. Yeah, I would I would be curious if this would be interesting in a political context because there's so many different kinds of analytics there and there's so much content around politics that's going around. So that could be yeah. interesting. Totally. And one of the research projects almost in the political space that we worked on was with the Clinton Health Access Initiative. And they, we were working with three sub-Saharan African countries in South Africa, Kenya, and Nigeria. And we were trying to see during COVID what is kind of the landscape of all of the healthcare workers, the countries, in terms of how many people are basically like self-diagnosing themselves with COVID over social media. So we were able to find tweets where people were saying, oh, I have a headache and a runny nose, but they didn't know that they had COVID. But we were able to use that as a proxy for how many cases do we expect are there going to be in the next few weeks? And we were able to tell this massive health organization, like, 
here's what we project the trajectory of COVID-19 is going to be in these countries and these cities so that they could allocate their resources based on all of those insights we were getting just from people tweeting that they had a few symptoms of COVID, right? Interesting. Yeah, that was probably the coolest project that I worked on. Obviously, COVID wasn't very cool, but being able to like work in it real time, like seeing these healthcare workers talking about like what they're going through and then being able to pass that on to an organization that can actually provide resources for them. I feel like that was just a really cool opportunity and project to work on. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing example of preparation meeting opportunity. You know, that yeah. that wasn't just an accident. You had to have something in place ready to go. And it sort of found its own place in, you know, in time. For sure. And there was a lot of data, a lot of tweets going out about COVID at the time. So I'm glad we had those systems in place or else, like you said, we would not have been able to handle all of that. Can you tell us anything about the modeling that goes on behind the scenes to understand sentiment? How does that actually work? What kind of model are you running? Yeah, so don't want to get too into the trade secret, but I can definitely dive into some stuff. Like basically whenever we get a post and we try to see, okay, is this person that's tweeting this or putting out this information, are they trying to come across as like, positive and negative. And I think the biggest difficulty with that currently just kind of comes with the double negatives, sarcasm. And I think sentiment is still really trying to catch up with all of that. But I think there are some specific sentiment analysis tools that are designed for social media, and they're able to kind of use these shorter text documents, taking the inputs from those and give it different than something that would be analyzing like an entire book or some article rather than a super short, like, I mean, post can be less than five words, right? And how do you kind of assign sentiment with that small of a sample? So I think there's a lot of work there, but I think with the AI integrations, again, I think they're even able to kind of dive into sentiment and almost analyze it better than some of the models that have come out now. It's, it's almost like tech technology is building on itself and things are becoming more modular. I'm sort of teasing out some business ideas and I feel like building some sort of a application on top of an AI is just such a low hanging fruit that there's like so many different opportunities to do that. Um, if I guess the question is, if you were to start sure. over again, how would you change the way you build your business knowing that you have all of this tech available to you now? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, like even thinking about how the AI can help make you more efficient and like being able to create SQL queries that are more efficient when we're using it on the back end than we could ever write, right? So I think there's kind of in every way possible, it can just kind of be used as a tool and an enhancement to the work that you're already doing. And I think what you mentioned, where it's like a layer on top of the business is exactly what we're doing with TSV, where we had this full predictive analytics system and social listening and being able to add on this one layer of AI text generation and image generation, that is really taking it from insights to actions for our users. And it really is like this huge bridge that we were like before the whole chat GPT craze, we were really scrambling thinking like, 
how can we take these insights and like turn it into a post? And like, as soon as that happened, we were like, oh my gosh, this is like what we've been waiting for. Like we need to integrate this as quickly as possible. So I think if I, I don't like to think too much about regrets or going back and doing things differently, but I think if anything, if it would have came out earlier, that would have been great and just helping us move a little bit quicker. But I think it really is just like adding that layer on top that can kind of take it from what you're trying to accomplish and deliver it to the users in just like the simplest way possible. How do you get feedback from users? A lot of emails. <laughs> we really just reaching out to, so we have around 200 users on the DSP platform now, just like testing out some paying customers, just like getting them integrated to the tool. And we have a free version that we kind of use to help get user feedback. And I think that's been the most useful is kind of having this free starter version where I can send it out to a lot of people, have them come in, test it out a little. And I think data on the back end is super helpful as well. Like we have our TSV content generator where you can come in and create a month worth of social media posts for free, just like creating tweets, TikTok ideas, whatever it might be. And being able to see, okay, are people coming back to the tool every day and creating new posts? And like, what are they doing differently than what they did the day before? Are they getting stuck? Like we saw this one thing where when people were coming to the content generator, we had default topics from TSB where it was like, coffee, bean farm is one of the topics. And then there was another one around technology, AI, virtual reality. And you could use those topics as examples to create posts, but users were constantly creating their own topics, but they weren't unselecting the default topics. So they were getting weird results in their posts that were being generated where it was like, oh, I'm a real estate agent, but I'm still getting coffee in my posts. Like, why is this happening? So being able to like see those little, little patterns from the data on our back end and like what topics they're using and then being able to work with our team internally, like how can we turn off those default topics as someone inputs their own topic so that they don't even have to worry about unselecting it. So I think that's kind of two things where like we're getting feedback from the users, but then we're also analyzing how they're kind of using the tool to kind of get those two main avenues from feedback. That's really cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. I think that's what I've realized is like being a product owner, manager, whatever you really want to call it is just a lot of fun to like, see how people are interacting with the tool. Like what changes can we make to make it even better? All of those little things is just the most fun for me mm -hmm. working on TSV. I'm curious, what advice do you have for any entrepreneurs that might have a lot of ideas? Like, how do you pick one and stick to it? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I learned from all of the different accelerator programs that we went through is just doing customer discovery. I think not being afraid to go out to talk to users, talk to potential users, really learn about what they're doing and seeing how you can kind of fit into their flow and not even mentioning the idea whatsoever in the beginning. Like, what are your biggest pains with running a podcast, Alex? Like, and if you're trying to make like an analytics tool for podcasts, like what type of things are you looking at after you put out a episode? Are you looking at like demographics? Like, what are you kind of focused on? And 
I think having that number one focus on the customer, user, pain points, problems is really going to be the easiest way to just figure out like what is the most viable for me because I think doing all of the customer discovery that we've done really comes back to the tool and we're able to see like this is what people care about. How can we integrate that into the product and just make it even better and useful for them? So it's really about research and deeply understanding the problem and then seeing that across a lot of different people such that you're confident that that problem exists, you know, exactly. not, not just in a, a few people, but across a lot. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think the best way to kind of realize that is to experience the problem yourself usually is one of the best ways to find out if it exists and then going out and doing those types of chats. But I think if you are kind of deep into an industry and kind of have that knowledge and obviously if you're in it, you probably have a lot of connections to see if other people also have the problem. So really just like getting that confirmation early on. And then I think another big thing is just getting to that v1 or mvp as quick as possible like just get in front of people is what i'm always trying to like advocate even within our tsv team like we're not going to get any feedback learn how useful this is until it's in front of people so just working like as quickly as possible even if it has bugs like if you people are coming in testing it out and they find those bugs that's a really good thing in my mind because then you're able to see this is how they're using it. How can we change it to make it even better? So I think those are really the two biggest things and just like how to get started on in an idea. Have you had any challenges with leading, with being the leader of a company? And how have you had to grow into that role? Yeah, that's a really, it's a very interesting idea just because like it almost like fell into my lap entrepreneurship working on the undergraduate research project like my senior year we were talking with all of these different research professors and they were always like you all know that they don't only talk about paints and chemicals on social media right like you can look at other conversations that are happening too like this could be a business right and me and my co-founder Aiden we were just like wow I guess like that makes a lot of sense like maybe we should do this so I think having Aiden along for the ride and being co-founders has helped a lot because we are able to like lead together. But I think there is a lot of learning. And as you know, with my time at IBM, I think there was a lot of benefits taking that almost like two year stint to be in the corporate world and learn about like, what does a fortune 500 company look like internally? Like what are the best practices for like checking in with the team, working with people on the team? Like, what do all of those different things look like? And I feel like just having that IBM experience really taught me like almost how to be a manager, even though I wasn't a manager at IBM, just interacting with my own manager just gave me a lot of foundation for like, what are the best ways to kind of run a company within if it is like a super small team. I like that. Yeah. You, you took a lot of really good learnings from it. Um, and in, not in not in the obvious sense. Like you would think that the learnings would be in the domain of what you were doing, but you were sort of looking at an organizational uh, arrangement, how, how they work. Yeah, for sure. And I think because I was a marketing data scientist at IBM, I think there was a lot of benefits for just like in the same field of like MarTech, like how do we kind of analyze this data? And like, 
I think that kind of kind of comes back to what I had said before. Like at IBM, I was like monitoring like how people traverse through IBM web pages, and now I'm kind of doing the same for TSV, where I'm able to see, oh, they went to this page, but then their topics aren't being selected, and like being able to see those types of things and like having that eye certainly has helped. But I totally agree. Like on almost like the business process side of understanding like how do managers work how do execs work? Like what are good presentations? What should we be focusing on? All of those things is like an even bigger outcome that I got from there. What about funding? Like, how do you, how does that work? Like how, yeah. how, how are you able to bootstrap the business? Yeah. So thanks again to IBM for all the help there, <laughs> <laughs> but no, the funding I think has really changed. Like we were talking about earlier with all of the SVB stuff in the whole economic climate, I think there's a large difference in what funding looks like now versus what it looked like when we were starting TSV in like late 2020, 2021. I think there was a lot more deal flow, especially at like growth stages. And while we're definitely not there and definitely early stage, I think deals are a little more hesitant to kind of get started just because I think there's less risk that people want to take on. So I think it really comes down to for the funding, like having clear metrics, once again, like going back to your customers, your users, like how much do they love this? And I think that's going to be more persuasive to investors than anything else. Right. And I'm saying this from someone who hasn't gotten funding and has talked to a lot of investors to kind of hear what they're thinking about, but I think it does ultimately come down to just like growth and revenue at the moment is really the number one thing. And I think there's a huge shift in focusing on growth or focus on growing uncontrollably with money to now having profitability and like a clear exit plan is a lot more valuable now to be able to kind of get that ROI. So it's an interesting time for sure. And I, definitely can see us going after some funding later this year, just with the growth we've seen at the start of this year with the whole AI craze, getting more customers, more monthly recurring revenues. So I'll have to get back to you on how that goes the rest of this year. Yeah. I love that. Um, how many people are you working with for your business? What is the structure of the sort of roles that you have? Yeah. So in terms of the core team, there's really three of us. So me and Aiden, co-founders, and then we brought on a software developer, Brian, to be able to help out Aiden really on the product side of things. Just being able to make changes quicker, iterate on the product has really been huge. And then I think, and this kind of comes back to advice kind of for getting started, I think advisors is really another huge component of what we're doing. I think we have, we have two official TSV advisors that we brought on one for strategic help and another for technical help. And then we have a bunch of advisors just kind of in our sphere and space that we can go to whenever we kind of have questions, like being able to go back to our old research mentor and ask like, what is kind of the right way to do this data science wise? And like, what's the best way to kind of approach this in Django, right? Versus being able to go after our entrepreneur in residence from the Andrews Launch Accelerator, who's super focused on finance. So we can go to him, like, we're thinking about raising a pre-seed round, like, what should we kind of do to prepare that for when we start talking to these investors? And like, just having those different people that have their specialties that we can go and kind of 
dive into a certain topic with them and they'll have some great answers and kind of set us up for success is really a big thing. So it's similar to a board. You sort of have like a, a de facto board. For sure. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of them join the official board in the future, but it's just super great to just be able to go to them with like broad questions and they can kind of hood it down to like, here's the things that you should be thinking about and then coming back to them again and like keep iterating on all of that. I want to ask about the technical side because, you know, any, most entrepreneurs are going to be either very technical or more vision oriented. And when you are just starting, it's very pricey to hire a software engineer right off the bat. So what do you recommend for how to start, you know, for like the first few months of a business? Do you, how do you like get something off the ground when it's expensive to do so? Yeah. And it definitely is expensive to do so. And I don't even think in terms of expensive as like cost, but more so time and just like wasting that time, like waiting for something to come back from like a tech group that you're working with outsourcing from another country, what it might be rather than I think one of the biggest benefits to what we've been working on with TSB is having two co-founders like me and Aiden both being able to work on the business where he is definitely more technical and is like building out all of the AWS stuff and like creating the models, all of that versus where I'm doing a lot of like the customer discovery product stuff. I think that split is really healthy. And I think I can't remember what the exact percentage is, but Y Combinator is always looking for startups that have co-founders, especially one that is technical because it is a huge thing to have someone in-house who really understands the tech stack and is building out all of these different tools with the technology in the back of their head and it's not just often some group who's putting together this project as quickly as possible to kind of finish out their contract right so i think having a technical co-founder is huge but i think with going back to ai and all of that being able to go to chat gpt and ask hey i kind of want to put together this Python script to take in this stuff and then put this output, I think that barrier to entry just decreased to basically nothing with how people are able to do technological things and be a technical person by just asking this AI model, how can I code this thing, right? So I think being open-minded to trying out these technical aspects is a huge thing and also having a co-founder or becoming the technical co-founder and really diving into this field is something huge how do you find how do you recommend people find a technical person as a co-founder or a team you know i get these random emails from other countries teams that want to build something what do you recommend how do you where do you go for that help yeah and i think this kind of comes back to like when i was in the position at undergraduate research like it was really just someone that I knew who was in like this super technical field and I think that does come back to how you'd want to find a co-founder more so than how you'd want to find a technical co-founder like you should have a working or like some type of relationship with this person in my opinion before you just like dive into basically a marriage working on a startup for multiple years to come so I think having someone kind of in your network or like you said even just reaching out to people and asking like, 
hey, we're in similar fields, like, what are you working on? And then just kind of building those relationships and while you're kind of in those early phases could be a good way to kind of get that started. But I feel like I got super lucky with me and Aiden. We met at NC State freshman orientation because we were both Manchester City soccer fans and just kind of became friends at NC State. And then junior year, I was like, hey, you're an IT major and doing all this coding stuff. Do you want to like join our research group and just like work on this project with me and then we got working on it and like his technical skills just like kept going up and getting better and better so I feel like once we graduated it was just such an easy transition to working on TSV. I love that so the first uh, place you go is your existing network and make sure it's somebody that like you said it's a marriage like you you're going to be really close for a long time so you have to be able to get along and work through issues and communicate yeah i think someone i can't remember who exactly told me this recently but someone said the average life of a startup has officially surpassed the average length of a marriage in the u.s so even longer <laughs> than a marriage <laughs> wow that's yeah, great crazy <laughs> um okay how about outside of business outside of analytics and marketing just working with people what are some of the things you've learned about how to have healthy relationships with people yeah i think going back to like that customer discovery stuff that i was talking about earlier like always listening more than talking i think is a big thing because even though i may be I don't even know if I would consider myself an expert in predictive social media analytics. I think there is always room and space to learn from others and just having that open mind to just like, what are you working on? Like, well, how does this affect what you're doing? Like having that openness and like the communication, the eager listening, I think is a huge thing. And people, it's crazy. People will just like be super surprised at how you can just be open to listening. Like, I'll be on these customer discovery calls and I know I'm taking it back to business, but I've had multiple people tell me it's like therapy for them where they're just telling me about their job and like the pains that they have. And it was just like super helpful for them to think about things. So I think just having that open mind, talking to people and just like being authentic is a huge thing that people, I guess, don't do as much anymore, but just doing that is huge and people will really appreciate it. So I guess that's my number one tactic overall. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like it's sort of a diminishment of the ego and letting the other person sort of flourish and not overtaking the conversation more than is necessary. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. What have you found are the biggest things that are distractions for you that you've had to limit? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think a huge thing being a social media analytics startup like social media is like a part of the job like I'll be looking through data and I have to like go to the posts that we're analyzing to see if it's being analyzed accurately and then um oh I'm on Instagram how'd that happen like should I check out my feed or like I think that's a huge thing that I've just kind of tried to almost eliminate like having that urge to do that like deleting all the apps from my phone which then I go back and forth. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm running a social media analytics startup, but I don't have any of these apps downloaded. Am I like missing out on everything and these trends that I should be like aware of in the space? So I think that's a huge thing. And then I don't know if it's as much as a distraction or like 
how I kind of cope with things, but just like getting outside, going on a walk and not looking at my phone, kind of just being in my own thoughts or like listening to an audiobook and just kind of being able to digest like what's going on and what's happening in my life has been a huge thing and try to go on a walk every day, every other day, just to kind of think about what I'm doing. And I think one thing that has been super helpful that I actually started doing recently is there's been this challenge on inside.com where people are building their startups in public, where you can post your start of day of what you're hoping to accomplish and then your end of day of what you actually accomplished. And I think that habit of like, here's what I'm hoping to accomplish and setting out that accountability where all of these people can see it. And at the end of the day, if I'm like, oh crap, I didn't do like half of these things and now I have to post my end of day and, and not all this stuff is here. So I think that's helped me out a ton and just like being super focused. And I don't know, the distractions is a big thing. I think there's a lot of things that kind of just like come up randomly in life that can kind of be distracting. But I think that's another thing with the whole startup culture where you have to constantly be working on your startup is kind of a myth like i think there should be that somewhat barrier between work and life even though the startup is your life and it's like constantly in my head 24 7 just having that time to disconnect and still like be distracted and the escapism i think is super valuable still just to like kind of get your head out of things and get a fresh mind for the next yeah, what, do you have any thoughts on this concept of like toxic I'll call it toxic productivity where people are on LinkedIn saying if you know you have to you need urgency like I can't talk to you if you're not urgent like we just can't be in the same room we can't be in the same network I only talk yep. to people who are like grinding 24/7 Do you do you agree that there is value there or is it somewhat counterproductive I mean, I, it would definitely be counterproductive for me, for sure. Like, if I was just working from 5 a.m. to midnight, I think sleep is super valuable. <laughs> and, and being able to sleep eight hours is really going to help you out a lot more than that extra two hours of work while you're exhausted. So I don't know. I think there wa there was a huge, like, kind of pressure to just, like, be constantly working on things, but I think that's somewhat gone away, like, I mean, even for myself, like, I think it's super counterproductive if I'm just, like, working super late and all of those things, so people can do whatever they'd like to do, but I think for me, it's definitely, like, if, if you want to hustle and grind, go for it, like, see what happens, you know, but I think there is consistently showing up every day and like putting in a hundred percent effort for eight nine ten hours is totally worthwhile but then once you get past a certain point there's got to be diminishing returns and it's just like hurting you a lot more than helping you to kind of reach your goals over the long term and i think it could be a little bit even more sinister than that because if you're projecting that to people who disagree with that concept of overworking yeah you're making them feel like they're missing something when it's in a sense it's somewhat like gaslighting because they're pretending there aren't these negative consequences yeah like if you're not working 16 hours a day you're not going to hit your goals right and putting that pressure on other people i don't know i think it comes back to what i was saying before about the social media distractions i think if you're 
in your own lane, you have your goals and how you can reach them and just keep focusing on what you're doing in a good process. I feel like hopefully it shouldn't affect you too much, but I agree. Like projecting it onto others is eh, not the best. <laughs> I want to thank you, Trevor, coming on. This has been an amazing conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much for inviting me, Alex. It was great catching up and we got to chat again soon. This was awesome. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm sure it'll happen. Thanks everyone yeah. for listening. We'll talk to you soon.